I'm Belle. I'm Ellen. And welcome to Hot Guys History. <laughs> yeah, we are your favorite history podcast where we tell you about all the sexy and salacious stories you never learned about in high school. What's our hot goss topic today? Yeah, uh, Ellen, so we are talking about um, one of my uh, favorite U.S. court cases of all time. Uh, U.S. versus one package of Japanese pessaries. What? (laughs) (laughs) What does that even mean? I thought you'd ask. So, uh, to start, let's get a little bit of some context. Wait, what is a pessary? A pessary. So, a pessary is a prosthetic device that is inserted into the vagina for structural and pharmaceutical purposes. It is most commonly used to treat stress urinary incontinence, to stop urinary leakage, and to treat pelvic organ prolapse, to maintain the locations of organs in the pelvic region. It can be used to administer medications locally in the vagina or as a method of contraception. This is pulled from Wikipedia. Whoa, wait, we're talking vibrators? No. No? No, so it's a pessary is something that you pop in your vag uh-huh. for either medical purposes, like to hold stuff in place, right? Like if you have like a urine prolapse or something. Okay. Or some kind of incontinence or um, they can be used to administer medications or as contraception. Okay. Like a diaphragm. Kind of. We're going to come back to these. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. Let's back up. So now we've got like a baseline of what a pessary is and we'll get back into, we'll come back into, you know, more kinds of pessaries, but- like, why are we even talking about them, right? So um, in 1932, Dr. Hannah Stone ordered a package of 120 pessaries from Japan with the full understanding and intent that they would be confiscated by the U.S. Customs Office. And I'm sure you're thinking right now, who the hell is Dr. Stone? Like, we, what the fuck's a pessary? And we'll get more into that. I'm so confused. Why? Were they confiscated? And why would she order them with the knowledge that they would be confiscated? Wait, we're taught what ta- what is the year right now? Uh 1932. So yeah. <laughs> <I'm> so confused. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, but this is a medical device and it's being confiscated, I'm assuming because it's illicit. Yep, kind of sorta. So okay. So first, let's start out with who Hannah Stone is, right? Okay, so Dr. Hannah Stone, she was the medical director of the Birth Control Clinical Research Bureau in New York City. Uh, This is one of the original Planned Parenthood clinics founded by Margaret Sanger. Uh, Side note, she's kind of like the opposite of the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Like, she's a shitty person. (laughs) She was a eugenicist. Like, literally, she made Planned Parenthood to exterminate poor people, people (gasps) of color, and the feeble-minded yeah, terrible person. However, uh, as as we know, that didn't happen. Oh my gosh! So like, her shitty intentions became a very important health service for people throughout the country. So yeah, the opposite, really. Whoa! Um, I guess I have heard that like birth control, kind of in general, had roots in that too. Roots in eugenics and. Yeah. So like, there's a, especially in the U.S. a lot of issues there, and that's definitely going to be a different episode but yeah anyway uh hannah stone badass bitch a very awesome she was jewish actually i want to shout out our cool jewish women in this horrific time of anti-semitism dr hannah stone is the medical director of the birth control research clinic or sorry the birth control clinical research bureau in new york 
she was born in 1893 to Jewish parents, uh, Max and Golda Ronaldo Meyer. Golda is such a boss name. She earned a pharmacy degree from Brooklyn College in 1912. And then she went to Columbia. Golda. Uh no, not, not, not Golda. This is Golda's her oh. mom. This is Hannah. I Hannah. was like, Golda rocks. What a cool name. And hey. she's a pharmacist. I know. Okay, Golda still fucking rocks. But like, yeah, because Golda birthed Hannah. But yeah, Hannah, Hannah rocks. She got a medical degree from New York wait, Medical College. Wait, I'm sorry. Wait, I thought we said Hannah was bad. No, that's Margaret Sanger. Oh, okay. Okay, wait. So Margaret Sanger, bad. She starts Planned Parenthood and then Hannah Stone. So far, we don't know what she is good or bad, but she works at Planned Parenthood. I don't know if Hannah Stone was eugenicist like Margaret Sanger. I'm guessing not because she's Jewish. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like, and I mean, that's not necessarily like a, um, you know, like a a get out of racism free card, but like. It's not. You can be anything and be racist. Let's be real. Anyway, so we have, so yeah, so we have Margaret Singer, problematic, right? We don't know if Hannah's problematic, but yeah, so she was a female physician, you know, in the 1920s and she ended up marrying marrying another doctor named Abraham Stone, who was an associate of the New York Department of Health. And they had one child named Gloria. She was one of Margaret Sanger's like earlier associates. As we all know, Margaret Sanger, even though she sucked, she still was the founder of the movement to legalize birth control, right? So yeah, she became the medical director of this birth control clinic 10 years before our story starts. Again, together, they've been having really just like pushing, you know, to get birth control legalized. They've been arrested a bunch of times. It's just a whole lot of stuff going on. So that's Hannah Stone. Are they arrested for like, what they're doing at Planned Parenthood or like, yeah. like related to birth control. And okay. <clears throat> yep. So they're, they've been arrested for a lot of different things. Right. So like, why are they being arrested? And then why are they, again, why are their pessaries confiscated? Well, you tell me, Ellen, do you want to hear why they were confiscated first or why they're getting arrested? Or do you want to hear more about pessaries first? You tell me <laughs> So choose your own adventure right here, kid. <laughs> I feel like I want to hear more about pessaries because then I think I'll have better context for when they're confiscated. So I think, what's that? Path B, please. Sure. All right. <laughs> okay, cool. Like we said, the pessary, right? You're popping that up your badge. Okay. Are these solid? Like, are these tampon shaped? Or are they hollow? We will get there. Yeah. So pessary is just blanket device. They come in all different shapes and sizes. Um, there's a couple different kinds of them, right? So there's three main categories of pessaries, therapeutic, pharmaceutical, and occlusive, right? So a therapeutic pessary is a medical device, right? It's like you said, kind of like a diaphragm, right? Like the outer ring. Okay. Um, if you don't know for listeners, a diaphragm is, it's kind of like a menstrual cup, um, without a little, without like the grabby stem, you just pop her up there. It is a physical barrier that prevents sperm from getting in much like a male condom prevents sperm from getting out. Right. So that's what it does. Did you ever watch what hot American summer? No. Is it good? Amazing movie. Amazing movie. <laughs> Especially if you ever like went to summer camp or were a camp counselor, I'm like, Oh my life. But in it, there's this very strange scene where like, Oh, I think it's the camp nurse is like, she kind of reminds me of like Regina George's mom of like, I'm like, cool. And 
someone asks her for her diaphragm and so she just pops it out and gives it to them. <laughs> oh my god. And for a while I did not know what a diaphragm what was. was. And I'm like, what is going on? Well, like, okay, well, one, I love that she's wearing it because you can wear one of the perks of a diaphragm is you can wear that bad boy like three plus up to three hours before sex. You can like, so you can go on that date. They think that they're wooing you. No, no. Like the whole, like if she wore matching underwear, you didn't really decide to have sex. She did. It's like, <laughs> she decided way beforehand. Right. Yes. But also just like with pessaries, diaphragms have to be fitted, right? Cervixes are not one size fits mm. all folks. So you have to like, like, sure. Most people's cervixes are like, I, man, I should know, but I don't know how big they are. Right. Anyway, though, but they're a certain size, right? Let's say that your cervix is the size of a Ritz bits, but your friends are the size of a fucking whole size Ritz cracker, right? Your, your little diaphragm is not going to fit inside her. It's going to be too small. And hers is going to be like, ow. Right. So like, that's just a hole. Why, why Ritz cracker? Why is that? (laughs) I have a reason for that. Oh my God. I hope my sister's not listening. Um, because when she was pregnant with my youngest nephew, she was three centimeters dilated for like a hot minute before she gave birth, right? Her mucus plug had, I believe gone away and your mucus plug is what it sounds like. It's literally a plug of mucus that is like stopping all the juice from coming out. It's a little extra safeguard. It is. Anyway, um, but yeah, no, so she was three centimeters and she was like the size of a Ritz cracker and this baby's head's just pushing on it. That's how she was dilated for like a while, just waddling around. So like every time I think of services, I think of Ritz crackers. Well, I'm really glad we all can have that visual for the rest of our lives. Thank you. You're welcome. I don't know if all of our episodes are going to be this one, probably just the ones that I talk about, but yeah, anyway, but yeah, therapeutic, right? So it obviously makes sense. Um, these are typically for like supporting things, right? So supporting, do you know what a prolapse is? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if you don't, people that don't know, it's been part of your, um, something leaves where it's supposed to go and starts like falling out of something else. Right. But kind of like a hernia would be an example of a, yeah. So like a uterine prolapse is when your uterus can kind of fall through your cervix and into your lady, which is not great, obviously. So a pessary can literally just be like this little thing you put in there, right? It keeps her in place. It's actually really nice, right? So they, they still use them today. They're a really good treatment option for women who don't need, or they don't want, right. A surgical surgery, right. To go fix that. Or they want to get pregnant again. Right. And okay. uh, like, I'm sure you've also seen those things on TV now that are like trans vaginal mesh. This is not that like there's actually been a pretty big surge in people wanting pessaries instead of that, because, you, you know, you can just take it out. Right. Yeah. So then these are again, so it can be that it can really there's lots anything that's in like your your gut. Right. If you are, are a person with a uterus, it, it can potentially, you know, help treat those things. Right? They can either be cast the therapeutic pessaries can be categorized as support right? Which you talked about space occupying and lever, right? So the support ones can be ring shaped, right? Um, there's also the gelhorn, which is mushroom shaped and the Marland pessary, which uses both rings and wedges. What fun names. I love those. I mean, they're just the old white dude who invented them. Oh, 
That's way less fun. I don't know. I was thinking Marlin, we're talking fish. We're out on the boat. The guest. <laughs> Alan was a fisheries and wildlife major. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, okay. Space occupying, which literally it is what it is, right? Like they're, they're all kind of like, if you, so thinking about these, the best, obviously it's much more complex, but think of it as like, different kinds of pessaries, like insoles for shoes, right? Different people need support in different areas. Or if you're a person with, right? Like, and just everybody's got feet. Well, most people have feet, right? So some people are going to need more support in their arch or their heel or whatever. Like that's why there's the different shapes and sizes, space occupying. Maybe you need something that's like dilating you, things like that, right? So they are often in things like donuts and in cubes, right? Cubes? Yeah, they they're okay. So let's put it this way: most of them are made of silicone now, right? So not like pokey uh-huh. pokey. They're just yeah. Okay, I was like totally with you until you said cube, and I'm like, that's a square pen. I'm gonna pen text you <laughs> a picture of some modern pessaries. Oh, okay, lovely. They look like little odds and ends, little doodads. Yeah, they they look like little doodads. They're very innocuous. Yeah, like if I saw these, like. I don't know, in someone's house, they'd be like, oh, little trinkets that my grandmother collects. Pretty much, yeah. Like, they're just small things. And it's really, really interesting, right? Uh, Loki dream to have a, like, a sexologist or an OBGYN or anybody on here as a guest to talk about fun, you know, the history of female sexual health. Really, any of those things. Regardless, though, the last one we've got for um, a therapeutic pessary is the lever pessary. Ellen, if you're looking, it's the one that's like, almost like a little skinny it looks kind of like a like a either like a key like a like a like a keyhole or like a little goldfish cracker are you looking at the picture it's like a go- oh like like a soda tab almost yes there you go yep that's the one yep yeah. that's a lever passery okay yep so how that one works is when you you kind of like almost like soda tab it almost into inside you and how that works is that it can push on certain areas to provide like opposing pressure so what that does is if you have um, something is causing urinary incontinence, right? It'll like push against it and like kind of keep it in check. So it's not, you're not feeling right. The urge to pee all the time, or it's keeping your pee where it's supposed to be. Yeah. Okay. That's what a lever does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then we have pharmaceutical, which think of, these are also called vasmal suppositories. So think about monostat, right? Like the little egg, right. That you pop up there. That is a pessary, right? Oh, you never okay. use monostat? No. <laughs> oh, you lucky bitch, man. I used to get recurrent yeast infections as a youth. What a time. Regardless though, it is any, you can use liver medications or spermicides. It's like a little, like typically a solid, like either like a tablet, like a pill, or like sometimes like, like, like a little like egg or orb almost. Right. Okay. They usually like a tampon applicator, just like a finger. Sometimes they are meant to dissolve at body temperature. So you can get infections in your vagina. You can have, maybe you need, you know, like a topical anesthetic, something like that. It's, you know, instead of just how else you're going to put it in there. It's going to like night. Yeah. Right. So that's what that is for. Um, and then we have the occlusive pessary, right? So these are the ones that are used for contraception. Sometimes not always also known as a contraceptive cap. They work similar as a diet similarly to a diagram, a, a diaphragm, not a diagram. <laughs> oh Lord. A diaphragm, um, is a barrier form, right? Like we were saying, it prevents sperm from getting in. It's supposed to getting out inserts into the vagina and it blocks sperm from entering the uterus through the cervix, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it is your Ritz cracker keeping the sperm out. 
Okay. Cat must be in. Do you have? Do you have any stats on like how effective those are? Yeah, I do actually. Yep. So the cap has to be used in conjunction with spermicide, right? Okay. Yep. Just like germicide, lysol, it's going to kill the sperm um, in order to be effective in preventing pregnancy, right? So, but when it's used correctly, the cap is 92 to 96% effective. Yeah. They're really effective. I just, I'm curious about those. It just feels like there's a lot of space for like human error, right? Like if you don't insert it the right way and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So basically, I mean, okay. When your mom taught you how to put a tampon in or whoever taught you to put a tampon in one of the things that I remember hearing was if you can feel it, it, you put it in wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So in theory, you shouldn't be able to feel a diaphragm when you have it in you, you kind of, obviously you're probably going to want to practice using it before you're using it for like, you know, the main event, right. You're probably going to want to, you know, the main event, <laughs> my old woman cackle is going out. <laughs> oh, goody Mather with the cackle. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Lately. I don't know what it is, but I just find myself like, <laughs> like all the time. <laughs> and then it makes me laugh more. And it's this terrible cycle of like this little old, like crone in the corner. For real though, man. I, yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah, anyway, um, so they're quite effective. Um, the beauty of this, right? Because they are a barrier method. They're non-hormonal and they are female driven, right? So mm-hmm. you don't have to rely on your partner to wear a condom. Like obviously they're not going to protect preventing STDs, but it, you're in charge right here. And also it can be a really good method if you, um, don't want to be on hormonal birth control and you don't want to have an IUD, but you still want to have a backup method, right? You can use this yeah. and you can use condoms together, right? Um, and the other two kinds of occlusive pessaries are stem pessaries. I will show you a picture of those. And it, I legitimately am going to have nightmares about this. Uh, this is what came before. Oh my God. I don't know. The if modern I occlusive pessary. It's one sec. It's so bad. I will tell you how it works. If you're going to have nightmares, I might not be able to sleep. It's not like, I just don't want to think about it, but you got to see it, man. You got to do it for the women who came before. Okay, so it kind of looks a little bit like an IUD. Like an IUD. Right? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. What it is, basically. Oh. It is the first IUD, except the bottom part is the size of a Ritz cracker. Yeah. And then there's a spring, like a metal spring. <laughs> yeah. So, how this works, to those of you listening, I will put a picture on Instagram, but basically, it looks kind of like an IUD, right? It's a little more Y-shaped than it is T-shaped. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the bottom of the Y, there is almost like a like a little brass plate, right? Almost like a candlestick, but it's got two, you know, sticks coming off it, right? Okay. But no, Ellen, how this works is you squish the, t- the t- top two, to- the top bits together mm-hmm. and you dilate someone's cervix and you put it up there and then it goes fwing. And so it stays the, in there for the little brass plate is like the part that's, up inside the, that's you. Up, yep. It's all the way up in there. Yep. And that would, they would leave those in there for like a couple of months. And then, and then the while. little tabs are out. So it stays there. So like your, yeah, your uterus is like a little like martini glass kind of right. Yeah. In that sense. Yep. So, yeah. So those, there were some problems with those bad boys, right. As you can imagine. <laughs> Not having surprisingly. Your, yeah. Lots of issues. Right. So this is, this is the precursor to what was in our package that came over. And I will show you what came in our package. 
as you can see, they're literally called, uh, I'm going to butcher the Japanese, the Koyama's safe pessary. And they look so much nicer and so much less ow. Less ow. Uh, they look so much nicer. Okay, let's see. They kind of look like a, almost like a bottle cap. Yeah, or like all I could think of, do you remember those like little like domed like popper things? Yes, that's exactly what this looks like. That your teacher would have in like the surprise mm. box or whatever. I don't like it. you saying that and then thinking about that going inside of um, me. I don't like the <laughs> popping. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Fine. An unpopped popper, okay? Okay. Anyway, but it looks like a little like, I don't know, like a little yurt. Yeah. Yeah. So like a okay. little, little tiny upside down Just bowl. a little... Mm-hmm. Pretty much, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, when you listen to this episode, pause, check out the Instagram, and be like, "Well, yeah." So, anyway, the last one is the sexual lubricant pessary, which I think is the coolest. It is literally a solid block of lube, unlike a little like thingy that you put up in your lady. And unlike a the pharmaceutical pessary, like the suppository that's supposed to like basically melt right away, this is like chemically engineered that it slowly dispenses lube over like a long period of time I like how find... long are we talking so I couldn't find great information on these however they're frequently used by sex workers and it's meant to like last you like a a, a, a work day okay okay so it can like keep you going because I was thinking like <laughs> the practicality of that like I don't necessarily be lube coming out at all times so you can like take it out though right do you have a picture of this one ah i don't have one let me find it hold on i'm i'm almost imagining like a popsicle and then it just slowly is melting and i'm having a hard time with this (laughs) so like ky makes a similar thing now but there okay i will look for it later but they're basically from what I don't know if they make them anymore, but basically what I read about was that it was like a little like melty thingy on like a plate, not a plate, but like a little like something holding it in there. And then yeah. like you once you took it out, obviously it would stop doing its thing. So you could just have it in there because like, let's say that you're a sex worker and you're not super excited about, you know, your current business uh transition transaction you know it's just it's you and the work for you right yeah Mm -hmm. okay seems practical enough yeah i mean you know it's it's like the free donuts right during an awkward business meeting they help (laughs) you know they help things move along yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah just like the free donuts hey you know what i don't get that many free donuts at work i'm salty about that yeah neither do I okay I have to say whenever you say pessaries I I'm thinking like a like like a a roll of like pepperoni like a like a big like sausage <laughs> that is what comes to mind <laughs> I don't know why I'm like been trying to think this whole time like like is there a meat like like pecorino but that's cheese right that's not that's not a sausage like me <laughs> it is well so 
That reminds me today in my class when I was teaching, we kept saying pantaloncini, which is like shorts in Italian. Okay. And every time I hear that, all I can think is pepperoncini, which are like little pickled peppers. Like we're wearing little pickled pepper pants. (laughs) I'm Peter Piper and I'm wearing pickled pepper pants. (laughs) Okay, to those of you who are still listening, if there's any of you at this point, we are back to, okay, so we've talked about pessaries, right? We know that Hannah, Dr. Hannah Stone ordered a package containing 120 of these pessaries. So why are they confiscated? And why is she, you know, why'd she order them if she knew they were going to be confiscated? So I'm also like the packaging of of that one you sent is Mm -hmm. very, you know, discreet. Like it doesn't say anything suggestive or sexual in nature. So I'm, I'm also like, again, if I saw this package, I would not be like, oh yes, that is going Mm -hmm. up your lady parts like yeah you know what I mean so I'm also confused how people even knew to confiscate I'm sure that's coming but yeah okay so they were confiscated by customs right they're coming from Japan because of this thing called the Comstock Act so the Comstock Act is basically America's blanket ban on anything uh, anything that was pertaining to adult fun so before we talk about it more in depth, let's talk about Anthony Comstock. Who is Anthony Comstock? So Anthony Comstock was born in New Canaan, Connecticut in 1844. Right now we are in um, 1932. So we're going to back up about 65 years, right? Okay. That's when he's born. So Comstock is serving in the, in- he served in the infantry during the civil war, right? In from 1963 to 65, I believe the Civil War is 61, sorry, not 1918, 63 <laughs> to 65. The Civil War is 1861 to 65, right? So during the war, um, he is just kind of a prude. He gets really bitter at all the, at his um, fellow soldiers using profanity. Like, I'm pretty sure if you're at war, that's like, that's like, even if you're like a really Christian Christian, you should be allowed to say fuck if you're on a war, right? I think, I mean, you're seeing a lot of bad yeah, stuff, a lot right? Of bad, brother against brother, man. Like, yeah. it's, and also the, the Civil War, like, all of, anyway. Right, so he's yeah, just like, bitter about you're everything. You're bored. You gotta have some fun. I know, right? All right, stick in the mud, I see. Yeah, Anthony Comstock, stick in the mug. M- stick in the mug, stick in the mud. So he moves to New York City, starts selling dry goods. Um, which is literally everything that's not produce or wet. It's dry goods. It's flour. It's fabric. It's, I was going to go for another F, but I couldn't think of one. Okay. So Anthony Comstock is, like we said, hella Christian. And this boy is appalled by what he sees on the, the streets TM of (laughs) New York City. Prostitutes, gays, pornography. Oh, there's everything. (laughs) <laughs> he's not having it man's is bitter about everything he's opposed to obscene literature abortion contraception gambling prostitution and patent medicine uh patent medicine is like i'm not necessarily pro patent medicine but at the time it's well so it's proprietary medicine um it's literally over-the-counter medicine basically but at the time there was a lot of like sham medicine right it's like ah. those like hydro like hydroxy cut right those water pills and make you like lose weight right okay. just like make you yeah right like so snake oil type yeah stuff. which side note there was real snake oil and it was super effective it was like it came from china and it was phenomenal it did all the things that snake oil claimed to do and then it 
bunch of white bitches were like, well, not a bunch of white douchebags were like, oh my God, people are making money. Let's just make fake snake oil. And we'll just blame it on the fact that Asian people are distrustworthy, apparently, or untrustworthy, which is like, so oh. racists ruin everything, right? Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's true. Um, Yeah, but no. So yeah, like snake oil, essentially, right? They're, he's, he doesn't like anything, right? And he literally called himself a weeder in God's garden. That's actually kind of sweet. Like, yes, he sucks, but that's kind of adorable. Like, I'm out here, I'm tending God's world. Obviously, how the way he goes about it, not great, but a cute analogy. Well, let's put it, I personally am more a fan of, um, or I think that the anarchist political activist, Emma Goldman's, uh, reference or calling she in her autobiography she called him um the leader of america's moral eunuchs in her autobiography at first i was like uh what but the more we talk about this the more you will realize that or more i realized at least that uh anthony comstock truly was the father of american incels not even kidding so when he's like getting bitter about everything he's in his early 20s Wow. What like 24 year old guy is like, oh, my God, there's hookers. So he's not like he's not like a grumpy old man. No, like when he was in the Civil War, like he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, like 18, whatever. Yeah, it's just yeah. Right. Like, can you imagine being 18 years old and be like, don't swear, Thaddeus. You're besmirching the name of our good Lord. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, though, so yeah, he's in, this is seriously, so he is in his mid-20s at this point, right? Okay. Early, early to mid-20s, in the late 1860s, he starts supplying the police with information for raids on sex trade merchants and- Okay, wait, so you're saying he's doing like sting operations and he's like, oh, I found some sex workers? How yep, do you think you found them? See, that's the thing, though. This motherfucker, apparently, like, and I looked for dirt. I looked that he was a hypocrite. Uh-uh. He would just literally go to, well, it was, like, the red light district, right? But he would, like, go find all this, like, he would find these things and just be like, there's one, there's one, there's one. And the police were like, yeah, sure, fine. Oh. Yeah, yeah right? Like, I he's really just that guy. wanted him to be, like, secretly, No, you know. he's not fun. Not one bit. Yeah, he sounds boring. Right? Uh, yeah. So, but not everybody thinks he's boring. He, people are like starting to feel this anti-obscenity crusade, like doesn't like hookers. He doesn't <laughs> like really anything. And I say hooker with obviously sex worker. I have zero derogatory feelings toward anybody who's a sex worker, but yeah. So let's just, he doesn't like sex workers in any respect. He doesn't like pornography, but he really doesn't like the ads that are, you can see for birth control devices. Um, he's not a fan, you know, he thinks, well, I wonder if these people couldn't have safe sex, would they still, would they have sex at all? Huh? Well, so this guy, Anthony, in his 20s, decides that he's going to make it his mission. He's going to make it his mission to, um, make the availability of contraceptives, uh, super minimal. That's so distressing. Like, As a man, maybe just, maybe don't, maybe don't care about something that really doesn't pertain to you, right? Like, yes, maybe that's a bigger conversation. Like if you're, you're in a partnership, everyone should have some responsibility, but 
maybe don't care yep. about mm-hmm. what women are or not putting up in their bodies. That's I know. Really frustrating. Yeah. It's like, that's, oh my God. That's literally like teenagers having sex. I'm like, well, if we don't tell them how to do it, then they won't. Right. Before we get to what he does about it, let's just talk about some of the ads he might have been seeing. What, what were the ads he might have been seeing for at this time? Right. Yeah. So, okay. Are they like, are they going to be scandalous? Uh, not really. No. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah. Okay. So, so right now, let's just to preface, we're, we're in the 1860s, right? Like, this is where we're at, but let's start in the 1840s, right? So, before like the Civil War, the U.S. is starting to slowly restrict access to contraception, right? Things are becoming more industrialized, uh, largely off the bodies of enslaved Africans. Regardless, though, Wait, uh, before the Civil War, we're starting to restrict contraception. Access. Yes, because we want more people. We want the birth rate to keep going up. We want to build this country up. This is really upsetting. Walking wombs, Ellen, that's you and me. Uh, yeah. yeah. I hate it. I hate everything about this so far. I mean, you're not supposed to like it. okay but yeah this is why this is why margaret and hannah are pissed right this is where you got to keep raging but yeah no but women are crafty motherfuckers so in the 1850s uh contraceptive products start being mass marketed um but they are done so gently in women's magazines uh there are advertisements for female pills mother's friend prevention powders and regulator tablets you can also buy products with rue, foxglove, angelica root, or partridge berry, which is also often called squavine. Those sound like they're probably bad to be putting up in your body. Like foxglove, isn't that poison? Well, yes and no. So actually foxglove digitalis is actually used in medicine, right? Almost all the so much medicine that we have is from plants, right? Pharmacology. Uh-huh. Yep. So um, these all work. could be poisoned by that. You can be poisoned by anything. Digitalis slows your heart rate. So if you have too much Uh, of it. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. So they all do different things and they can be used different ways. Uh, Rue is one of the most common, right? Um, There's Rue, Pennyroyal. There's, again, not to go too much on that road, but you could buy products with these in them and they work as naturally derived contraception and abortive patients. Uh, One thing I do want to mention here is that this is like the, the pioneer, right? The, the great frontier is happening, right? So some of these herbs are things that they would have known, right? From their native Europe, but so much of lots of the herbal birth control methods were derived from indigenous pharmacology, right? And indigenous women had been, and still, right? Have phenomenal natural medicine. But yes, so I do not want to give full credits to the white women folk who are rolling through. Anyway, um, also though, at this point, we're all starting to see physical birth control. So in 1839, Charles Goodyear and Thomas Hancock, ever heard of them, discovered the vulcanization process for rubber. And shockingly, 20 years later, we get condoms that are made out of rubber. We, we get condoms when? Uh, so we had condoms all throughout history, and they were made out of animal intestines. Okay. We had them yeah. from sheep calves, goats, uh, used for both pregnancy pre- and disease prevention. And they were kept in place with a ribbon tied around the base of the penis. Uh, the How famous cute. lover. It's like a little See, I present. Think- <laughs> you put out oh. and you tie it up. <laughs> Here's some dead animal guts. 
Yeah, but the ribbon, the little ribbon part. <laughs> well, to Ellen's future husband, you know what to get her for Valentine's Day? Present with a bow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know what? I mean, I feel like Casanova here, the famous lover um, in the late 1700s, said that he didn't like shutting himself up in a piece of dead skin in order to prove that he was well and truly alive. <laughs> We have the giggles. <laughs> in 1858, the, the rubber, the rubber, rubber penis, rubber condoms only covered the glands of the penis. Glands? What are we talking? The glands? The head, like the little mushroomy bit. So it's just like a little thimble? Just like a little... The, yeah, in Europe, they called them American tips. Why? Because they were manufactured in the US. They were just like, oh, just the tip. That's the tip. Feels unsafe i feel like that would just pop off no uh, so yeah I mean, that's yeah because you know about 10 years later that's when they came up with the full length kind but they did have an, a seam down the middle right um which was very uncomfortable and they were expensive but reusable because you could wash them out are you serious no yeah no. i'm serious you can reuse a diaphragm there is there is so much. You about can reuse this a menstrual cup. How really is it? <laughs> not about no. Ew, yeah, already, already. No. Well, you can you would like rinse them out, hang them up to yeah. dry, and go again. It's, it's it's not fabric. It's rubber. Yeah, but the whole the whole process there. Hey, you know you'll love this because I'm sure I won't love this. Like regular condoms, we have those coming up now, but okay. Um, the men are bitter that they don't last very long, so they have to buy them more often because they're not meant to be reused. And they oh, don't like that. Darn. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm yep. gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna be okay with it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And fun fact: unlike the women's contraception that had to be kind of hidden gently in these advertisements, until the Comstock Act, which we're about to get to, comes into play, they could just kind of roll with it because you know these men they weren't trying to not have you know heirs they just didn't want to knock up their mistress you know they're just being responsible men why should so we limit their like access to male control? male contraceptive stuff is not, like you're just advertising like you would today basically yeah but like after the Comstock act, act comes into fruition they start calling them things like rubber safes caps and my personal favorite gentleman's rubber goods i like that one classy it's like a little top hat i know it's cute like i don't think yeah it's cute but yeah so that's the advertisements that were apparently really um offensive to little tony comstock so was he offended by the the male advertisements or the female ones just because they're female and he hates women he was offended by everything right so the point I want to make advertisements for women driven contraception, they have, they were being, they were on the DL, right. Kind of yeah. from the beginning, but the men's ads, uh, didn't really start being, you know, like simmered until after the Comstock law into effect in 1873. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, our, our boy, Tony is, uh, 29 when he just rolls up to, um, you know, he just, sorry, uh, in 1872, sorry, he rolls up to Washington, D.C. He wrote himself a little anti-obscenity bill. And he's like, hey, I don't like these things. 
right? I don't like <laughs> anything that is obscene or lewd or lascivious, quote unquote. The in 73, Congress passes the law because they're jazzed and like, yeah, we're going to, we, if we say that we're against all these things, then no one's going to know that we also have a side hoe. Yeah. We, yeah. It feels mm-hmm. like something that would be easy to vote for, right? Because yeah. in theory, everyone's like, yeah, we don't want lewd things. Yeah. So the the official name of the act is an act for the suppression of trade in and circulation of obscene literature and articles of immoral use. But how the fuck do you define obscene and immoral? This includes methods of production or publication of information pertaining to the procurement of abortion, the prevention of conception, and the prevention of venereal disease. And again, also like the obscene, looter, lascivious material. At the peak of this fervor, some anatomy textbooks were prevented from being sent to medical students by the USPS. Right. This is so the Comstock Act being enacted also is part of the bolstering for uh, private courier services, because that was the thing. You couldn't send anything through the mail. You couldn't circulate these things, but you also couldn't send them. Right. That's the thing. So medical textbooks. Yep. Like literally people were having to like get a private courier or like go pick them up at the publisher because they couldn't have the mail to them. Yeah. That's an issue, right? Like if we cannot educate, oh my God. So this is going on. Everything is just absolutely a big old mess, right? And a fun fact, most people didn't like uh, Anthony Comstock, shocking. And towards the end of his life, he was hit very hard in the back of of the head by an unknown attacker. And then he apparently struggled to talk and say things. Oh my God. Which is not good, but like- he said a lot of things that he doesn't really need to say anymore. So like, yeah, but like Whoa. you just imagine. Yeah, that's not good. No, it's not good. But like, yeah, that's the whole thing. And they're like, obviously pretty sure it was like a, not like a hit, but like a hit, you know? Oh my gosh, Anthony, the mob was after him. Pretty much, man. Yeah. So, okay. But also, yes, he's terrible and sucks, but. A little bit appreciate his drive, right? He's like, I hate this thing and I'm going to go write a bill, right? Like, he's got passion. He's got a little va-va-va-voom, if you He will. is the definition of the confidence of a mediocre white man. <laughs> exactly. 100%. Like, I can appreciate him the way that I can appreciate uh, Margaret Thatcher, right? Uh, man. Again, whole other episode. Regardless. Okay, so we know. That Hannah ordered that one package of 120 pessaries from Japan. And she knew they were going to get, you know, confiscated. But why did she know they're going to get confiscated? Like, are they searching all the mail? And that's because, well, in 1930, there's the Tariff Act of 1930 uh, came out. And there's a section called Section 305, which contained language from the Comstock Act. Right. So this is, you know, 27 years later. No, sorry, 57 years later. It's pervading to the point where we feel the need to include this language that you cannot import birth control from other countries because it's obscene. They did this on purpose because they're thinking, because Margaret has tried to do it herself a couple of times. She's tried to do these things. She's like, people should have access to birth control, blah, 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 regardless of why she thinks they should, but like they should, right? Hannah is going to place the order for these passeries, um, which again, 
are not only used as birth control, can be used as legitimate medical devices. Not that birth control is not a legitimate medical device, but they can be used for non-sexy things. Yeah. Like, right. I don't think there's anything sexy about uterine prolapse. The opposite, I would say, generally. Yeah. So um, I have Hannah order them. And then that's kind of my favorite thing uh, is that unlike Anthony, who just rolled up to get something put into law, to repeal a law, you have to break a law and then appeal the criminal conviction, which is in itself a little, I don't love that, right? It's kind of, it's kind of rebel, cool, but think about it. Like these women who are trying to campaign for access to healthcare, they can't just roll up to Capitol Hill like Anthony did at the age of 29 with his list of shit he doesn't like. They have to, they just are like, all right, well, we're going to order um, some pessaries from Japan. We know they're going to get checked and we know that they're going to be seized. Uh, but here's the best part. So they're not prosecuting, um, they're not prosecuting Hannah and they're not prosecuting Planned Parenthood and they're not prosecuting Margaret. If you look at the title of the court case, it is U.S. versus one package of Japanese pessaries. <laughs> Wait, so the the yeah. package of pessaries. The package is... of pessaries is the issue here because they're like, wait, we didn't think about the fact that she didn't send them, she received them. So she's so, not. Yeah, so there the thing here is, is it legal for a medical professional to receive contraceptive devices through the mail? That's where the key comes in here. So these crafty bitches, they're like, all right, so this is enough, right? People deserve, women deserve access to this. Men deserve mm-hmm. access to, you know, male birth control. How do we get around this? They've tried, they tried, like, all right, well, we're just going to do this, right? Like, and Hannah's already been arrested, right? For other stuff. And Hannah does not give a fuck. She's like, <laughs> yeah, no, she's going down. She is ready to go. Wait, so the, the package itself, like, were they checking all all imports or yeah, all imports. So yeah, with the tariff act of 1930, basically I did, I just brushed up on it. I learned out in high school, obviously, but basically what they're doing is they're taxing new imports to raise revenue, right? Cause the, the great depression. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So all imports really. And then within that though, they had other provisions again, like moral things, right. That you couldn't import contraception because that could in theory be a loophole, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. A couple of years go by. And finally in 1936, their pessaries are seized and, you know, they are appealing, right? They're like, we, you know, we, they shouldn't be seized. And a lower mm-hmm. court rules against the government, right? They're like, yeah, no, a doctor should be able to order contraceptives because contraception, you know, can have medical implications, right? There are even okay. religious sanctions, right? Like the Catholic church, although it's not approve of contraception, it does allow the use of hormonal birth control, the pill to regulate women's cycles, right. Or if used without the intention of, you know, preventing pregnancy, right. Mm -hmm. There are genuine medical uses for birth control. Um, and there are including pessaries, which we've talked about, right. Um, and there are reasons why certain women should not get pregnant. Right. And let's talk medically like morality aside, right? Like some women, you know, may have a history of eclampsia, right? Things like that. Mm-hmm. It's important to mention at this point that abortion has been illegal throughout the country since 1880. Okay. 
And again, since the Comstock Act has gone into effect, it's been harder and harder to get access to contraception. The government then, the government kind of fueled by, you know, the people who are very in support of the Comstock Act, they're appealing to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit, right? They're like, this, no, right? They're, they're bitter that the lower court was like, yeah, it's fine. She's a doctor. Right? Right. She's not just like willy nilly. It's like this. This is not a this is not a sex worker, which who is just like, you know, on her wanton ways. This is a literal, a legitimate medical professional who would like to prescribe medication. Right. OK. Appellate court confirms the lower court's ruling. The appellate court held the law could not be used to intercept shipments which originate from a doctor. Right. So it's like that was the key. Hannah is the key oh, here. Oh, so if it had been anyone else, they'd be mm-hmm. like, no, you can't. But because she's a doctor and can say this has a medical well, like She's an impartial third party, right? Like mm. the the biggest claim, again, like the original claim, think about it for the Comstock Act, right? You think back to Anthony and he's like, contraception. He's like, if I can stop the contraception, like the access to contraception, then people will stop boning and stop doing bad things, right? hmm but if a doctor orders it, that contraception is not, it's still behind some red tape, right? You still have to go to a medical, right? So like, that's, they're like, no, it's not just willy nilly out there. Like it's, you're not advert, there's no advertisements for condoms. Like you're going to a doctor to talk about a thing. And my favorite quote of the ruling by the best name for a judge I've ever heard in my entire life, Augustus Noble Hand. Wow, that's that is some strong names. I love that it. That is a judicial name. His decision was, and I quote, while it is true, the policy of Congress has been to forbid the use of contraceptives altogether if the only purpose of using them to be present to using them be to prevent conception in cases where it would not be injurious to the welfare of the patient or her offspring. It is going far beyond such a policy to hold that abortions, which destroy incipient life, may be allowed in proper cases, and yet that no measures may be taken to prevent conception, even though a likely result should be to require the termination of a pregnancy by means of an operation. It seems unreasonable to suppose the national scheme of legislation involves such inconsistencies and requires the complete suppression of articles, the use of which in many cases is advocated by such a weight of authority in the medical world. Let's unpack that. Shelly, regardless of his own personal beliefs, he's like, okay, so you don't like abortion. You don't like these things. Okay. But so if you don't like that, why are you against devices given out by a medical professional that will reduce the need for abortions? Yeah. He's like, right. you that can't seems logical. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, you can't get people having sex, but you can you people let people be responsible. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah. And beyond that, he's saying that a weight of authority in the medical world, he's acknowledging the fact that I'm not a doctor. I just am blown away by the fact that Hannah, Dr. Hannah Stone, and really is her, her name the line. So yeah, Dr. Hannah Stone ordering a one, a single, a one package of Japanese pessaries. This one package of Japanese pessaries is literally the reason that women had official access to birth control in the U.S. Wow. Yeah, legal access to birth control in the U.S., right? And again, this is just federally, right? There yeah. were still state laws to go around, but I, can, I can't even imagine. 
right? I mean, so, so this was, it was appealed twice and then did it stop there or did it go like all the way to the Supreme court? Okay. Yep. So it was appealed in the fact that, so they took the pessaries, it took the package. Um, and then Hannah was like, no, no, you can't take those because blah, blah, blah. She appealed the, you know, the seizure, right. Yep. The pessaries. And the court was like, yeah, no, you should be able to keep your pessaries. And then the government who the court ruled against was like, no. And the appellate court was like, no, no government. She gets to keep her pessaries. Right. Cause she's a okay. doctor and you're not. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy yes. how we listen to doctors who might know more about it's really crazy things than you. Crazy the things that happen when you have somebody who actually knows what they're talking about make the decisions. About- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and it was a big whirlwind right there. But honestly. I love this court case so much, but it was so hard to think about, like, to do it, like, linearly, right? Because it's all mm-hmm. this stuff is going on at once. So I hopefully with, like, the vague choose your adventure we did, you kind of understood, you kind of got where we're going at the end. Yeah. No, I think for sure. I think for sure. And I think you had to know what a pessary was before we talk about what's being seized. Otherwise, I don't think it would have made much sense. Like, why are they taking this package of pepperoni, you know? One package of Japanese mortar and pestles. <laughs> One package of Japanese pretzels. Pretzels. One package. Puppies. Penises. <laughs> oh, we're totally different route. <laughs> I think that I think that uh, exemplifies some of our. <laughs> yeah, Japanese episodes. pencils. There's that. You're pretty much, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so okay. So then moving on from from this, like like the Comstock Act is not overturned or anything, but we're saying a medical professional can buy, order, receive, I don't know what, yep. what the verb is we want to use, um, contraceptives. And then is that just how it's maintained, like moving forward for years? Like it has to well, come through a, so a medical professional? The Comstock Act is still on the books. Really? We just don't enforce it. Yep. So... Yeah. Like federally um, still on the book? Like not federally, the Comstock Act still exists, right? So if we talk about pornography, right? So uh-huh. there are provisions in there, right? In terms of art, right? So if you use lighting, things like that, blah, blah, blah. And then if we use um so the Comstock, so basically this is a quote that I found from the Iowa State, uh, one of the Iowa State legal centers. Um Oh, and one of my favorite things is that uh, Comstockery uh, is literally what it's called when people are being like prudish or like saying, that's too slutty. How dare they? It's Comstockery. <laughs> oh, that's a great verb. I love or it. Like they, they still use it. Yeah. George Bernard Shaw once said, Comstockery is the world's standing joke at the expense of the United States. <laughs> Confirms the deep-seated conviction of the old world that America really is a provincial place and a second-rate civilization after all. <laughs> That's aggressive. I mean, we're a bunch of prudes, man. We're a country founded by Puritans. Right. I mean, what do you expect, right? Like, yeah. People aren't um, showing their ankles. Like, you know. It's true. So, is that why, like, I feel like condom commercials today are very suggestive, but never like really say what they are or like 
if you see things in like the drugstore, like they never actually say like vibrator or, mm-hmm. you know, is that the Comstock Act? Okay. Yep. Comstock, but also it's also partially marketing as well, right? Um, women especially are less likely to be okay with explicit sexual language right Mm -hmm. um but yeah so like even you know the hitachi magic wand right that's still marketed as a personal massager right like that even now that it's used for to massage things that are not back muscles uh (laughs) it's still marketed as a back massager yeah the construct act is still on the book i mean it is one of those things that exists because if you violate it and they need like a reason to bring you in for arrest. That's horrible. Mm-hmm. I guess unless we're getting like, which probably is not good, but you know, if we're getting like a major crime boss and the reason they can get them is the Comstock Act, sure. But I'm like thinking of that as like a regular person, that'd be a terrible reason to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So that is. You, the U.S. versus one package of Japanese pessaries. How 120 diaphragms basically were the, this, you know, the sacrificial lamb for women across the country. I love, I love that. You're totally right. Like, yeah. you know, if it was V. Hannah Stone, it would not be nearly as no, fun. No, it's not. No, yeah. it's not. <laughs> when you're thinking about like the U.S. Mm-hmm. like facing off versus the little package of. That's the thing though. That's I the reason. It. The best part too is like Hannah Stone was the one who started the case because she's like, no, I want my pessaries back. Mm-hmm. But then the pessaries won. The pessaries So won. then the U.S. went against the pessaries. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. I know. Do we have any, like, what did we learn? What's the moral of the story? You know, I think the moral of the story is that you are allowed to think whatever you want. If you really don't like, you know, lewd or obscene things, you're allowed to think whatever you want, you know, in terms of things that are lewd or obscene. However, when it comes to, you know, making decisions about stuff, maybe you should first, you know, have a degree in that thing that you're, you know, making decisions about. Yeah. Yeah, there's like that phrase. It's like your freedom ends where mine begins. Mm -hmm. That's that's what this feels like, where he Comstock wanted his freedom to be everywhere. But where you're starting to restrict other people, it's it's Mm -hmm. not good. I mean, and also this the whole concept of hate breeds hate. It actually fun fact, uh, when Comstock was working at the U.S. government, he had a a mentee, so to speak, by the name of J. Edgar Hoover, who was very inspired by uh, Comstock's relentless attitude to leave no one alone. <laughs> right. So do we know if he if Comstock had like an unrequited love or like why he became so bitter or like did he like boys and at the time he didn't feel like he could express it? Like it feels like there has to be some like kernel that spurred this hatred of everything yeah I really don't know right I believe he married a woman but like I looked into this a little bit and like truly I could not find anything about you know like I guess some people are just annoying like that 
that could just be what this boils down to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, seriously, I mean, and also I do love the fact that there are so many characters of him, like like physical character, like drawings of him, like in the news, the time and stuff. And because he ha- well, he has a very caricaturable face. Let me show you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. While I am saying this to Ellen, I would like to thank PBS and Wikipedia for all of this and for the U.S. legal database that I used to read the court transcript. Okay. He looks like fairly normal to me. I don't know. I thought he was going to look a lot. I don't know. I th- He seems like you see him on the street. You wouldn't like think twice. You know what I mean? He seems regular. And I, I <laughs> the facial hair, obviously the style of the time. I'm kind of about it. I'm like, it's kind of fun, right? Like you'd think that makes him like a little more fun, a little more approachable, well, but no. <laughs> I was like, I don't think he, okay. It's not that he looks like a weird person. It's the fact that he looks like a very, um, he's very distinctive. Yeah. And if you're very distinctive, then you make an excellent caricature. Right. Easy to like play up. Yeah. Yeah. Him being the Prince Prude of the United States. Wow. I would love a legacy. Not like this, but I, you know. I want to be America's original incel. No, no, no. <laughs> I want I want an act, but I don't want I don't want this act. <laughs> well, this one was super fun. You took us on quite the journey. <laughs> I thought about a lot of things I never want to think about again. Fair. Particularly the lube popsicle. <laughs> I could go a hundred more years and never have learned about that. But <laughs> I'm more knowledgeable, more cultured. And I appreciate okay. you for that. Thank you. <laughs> this is pretty salacious. There's a uh, quite a bit of she's, goss she's going on. There is some goss, yeah. Maybe she's born with it, or maybe it's just a pessary. Amazing. Is that a new tagline? It might be. I don't know. Okay. Well, um, on that, thank you for listening to Hot Goss History. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Hot Goss History, and you can email us at hotgosshistory at gmail.com. Thank you to Pat and Alex for our music by This Side of Paradise. And stay, stay juicy! juicy. <laughs>